is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host, Lee. I'm Lee, and I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. Although that will hopefully change soon. We've been taking more steps in the studio. Maybe I'll post another video for our patrons. Man. There's, a, there's like a table in there now, and I just ordered some what? chairs today. Oh! Yeah. Dude. Right? <laughs> chairs, chairs especially. I've been sitting on like my fancy studio control station chair. And you've been sitting on a chair that's been falling apart for the last 15 years. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> one that I literally <laughs> fell out of one time. So <laughs> <laughs> so now we actually are going to have legitimate chairs. So that's wow. a step up. Moving on up. You know what I mean? That's right. Today, you're joining us for a Tragedy Tuesday brought to you by me. I was just telling Lee that it feels like a long time since I've hosted an episode exclusively. It does feel like a long time. We've had a lot of guest episodes and you've done a bunch. So I'm back. Cool. He's never gone, but now I'm back. All right. <laughs> I'm back to reacting. Before we dive in, a couple, a uh, little bit of housekeeping like I always do. If you're new here, welcome. We're very happy to have you. Some people ask us what the best thing to do or the best place to start. And I usually say the beginning, even if they don't ask. I just say start at the beginning. <laughs> Why is he saying that to me? <laughs> just randomly to strangers. <laughs> How's it going, Peter? Start at the beginning. Start man. at the beginning. Oh, okay. Uh, the reason I say that is we, we don't do like inside jokes. You're not going to miss out on any of those, but we do reference previous episodes. And if you want like the whole big picture, if you start at the beginning, you'll get it. You can't lose. And if you listen to all that and you like it, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen. You can do that on social media or really any way that you choose to do it. The next best thing you can do is to subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a rating or review wherever you listen. I think Apple Podcasts is still the best place, but really dealer's choice. And in this metaphor, you're the dealer. <laughs> so. Right. You hold all the cards. (laughs) If you want to keep up with what we're doing on social media at this disaster pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, we also got a website for everything in one convenient place, www.thisdisasterpod.com. And we got a patreon.com slash this disaster pod where you get bonus content, live streams of major disasters, micro disasters that come out every two weeks, some other bonus content that's currently in the works. We got something coming up with trial Andy that I think is going to be a lot of fun. So, um, check that out also you get discounts on merch and speaking of merch we've got our next pre-order of shirts going on right now until i think october 16th so if you go on our website and it's kind of confusing it doesn't actually say pre-order anywhere but if you go on our website and you back order a shirt you basically click in all of your preferences back order it it'll get added to the list and then we're making them to order so once we have all those orders in we'll make them ship them out to you and you'll have them in time for christmas boom we're like santa Two Santas. Indeed. Indeed. So uh, if you go to our, on our website and head over to the shop, that's where you can find that. I think it's shop.thisdisasterpod.com. So check that out. Yeah. Get it. On to today's disaster. All right. Hit me. Hit me with it. This is actually one... Uh, actually, no. 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 Oh. You thought you were off the hook. What? <laughs> I just remembered. No. I, I just remember. I thought, no. Yesterday, I found out that you were wrong about another thing. No, I probably was actually. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You know, every week we play, uh, since the pandemic started, we play this uh, World War II game called Day of Defeat Source. And (sighs) during that, a lot of times we'll talk about various things. Yeah. And in passing, Lee made the incorrect statement that RoboCop (laughs) was a better movie than either or both of the Terminators. You saying both, I guess people know you mean one and two. But um, yeah, Terminator One. Well, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't <laughs> acknowledge hap- anything after that. <laughs> Come on. So, um, in the, in that situation, I guess 
same question as before on some of the other topics. Uh, how long have you been wrong about that? And when <laughs> did you realize that you were wrong? <laughs> um, where to start? Well, I believe I, after a, 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 a dressing down from the, the room, the virtual room, I posed, I just wanted to get, you know, the temperature. So, hey, guys, can we all agree that RoboCop is an amazing movie? Yes. Hey, guys, can we all agree mm-hmm. that Terminator is not as good as everyone thinks it is? And there was just this kind of like silence. That's because nobody. Cause everyone was kind of like, huh. Oh, God. Nothing makes sense anymore because you're right. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, like, no, no. Terminator you know... is. Uh... <laughs> no, Terminator is amazing. <laughs> Terminator is great. I, I I do like Terminator. I think Terminator is as good as I think it is. And I think that Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 are both amazing movies for different reasons. They're like, very different movies. Here's my thing. I'll, I'll, I'll say this and I'll kind of leave it at that. Sure. Yeah. I, th- I think, and this especially goes for Terminator 2, which okay. objectively mm-hmm. is not a great movie. Is there objectively many... not a great movie? Yes. Like in and oh of Oh my God. But let me, and here I'm going to say, I'm going to say why people okay. think the opposite. Yeah. I, res- I, I respect your opinion. <laughs> you respect the facts. Um, uh-huh. Opinion. If you didn't see Terminator 2 when you were a kid mm-hmm. and you just saw it now or when, when you were an adult, like you wouldn't think it was anything great. False. I think that movie really has a lot to do with time and place and seeing it at a certain age. Robocop, I think, transcends all that. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. And the people who, and the people who know I'm right, who are listening right now are just <laughs> have like a satisfied kind of nod going. <laughs> no. And that's all I need. <laughs> that's all I need to say about uh, it. Everyone's entitled to their opinions on to today's disaster. Okay. <laughs> Remember we're on a podcast about disasters. <laughs> <laughs> right. So one sunny day in ancient Greece or Syria, a man climbed to the top of a tower, spread his heavy cloak out like a pair of wings, jumped spread eagle into the air and plummeted to his death. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the Tuesday in ancient Greece. (laughs) I tell that story and I mean, probably that happened. And also I say a man because let's be honest, a woman wouldn't be that dumb. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. She's got responsibilities. So Uh, (laughs) that's a story that doesn't really come from any kind of known account or at least known account that I found, but it illustrates that the idea of flight has plagued the minds of man for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, I'm not going to be, I'm not talking about ancient flight. There's a modern disaster in here, but if you're new to this show, I like to start <laughs> with some context. <laughs> you're going back a little further than World War II, so I'll Yeah, I'll normally I that. start with, <laughs> normally I start with World War II, and yeah. this time I was like... Maybe I'll break the trend. <laughs> <laughs> so is this the first recorded instance of someone going, I bet I could do what the birds do. Let me, let me give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't necessarily a recorded instant, but that, apparently there are stories of people doing that and also kind of like covering themselves with feathers and trying to jump out of windows <laughs> and stuff. So. Yo, Wiley Coyote. Uh, yep. So there are stories littered throughout the Middle Ages of people strapping wings to their arms or covering themselves with feathers or both and trying to fly majestically through the air only to plummet to their grave, injury, or usually death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Interestingly, kites were among the earliest forms of man-made flight. Oh. Just like building a kite and tying a string to it was one of sure. the first things that we actually put into the air, which kind of makes sense. A kite is fun. Right? Yeah. I remember my dad made kites for me when I was a kid. And at the oh, time, cool. I don't know if I appreciated it as much as I do now in retrospect. Yeah, you never do yeah. when you're a kid. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a kite. Can I play Doom some more? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can we go home? <laughs> but anyway, so kites were the earliest among or earliest forms of man-made flight. And you better believe it didn't take long for someone to ask whether they could strap a person to one of those tethered oh, yes. aerial marvels <laughs> they yes. probably didn't even let him finish the sentence <laughs> yeah. like the guy the guy who invented the kite somebody's like hey do you think we could strap someone to it and like right. the guy looks up from like tying his friend to the kite it's like uh <laughs> yeah way ahead of you uh, wow well, yeah just hold my beer bro that's why i made this <laughs> yeah. and actually between the between the fourth and sixth centuries a.d there are accounts of the ancient chinese and japanese using manned kites for civilian military <laughs> and even punishment purposes what <laughs> Right. Man kite. <laughs> right. That sounds like a superhero. Right. And also, especially like the punishment purposes. Punishment. I think that officially goes down in history as like the most bitchin' punishment of all time. <laughs> we know this won't work. And that's kind of the point. So happy right. landings. <laughs> or you're like trying to punish a daredevil. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to strap me to a, to a kite so I can fly through the air. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's, oh no, oh, don't do that. Oh, ah, <laughs> scary. Japan got so hog wild about manned kites that the government eventually had to introduce laws against their use. Because <laughs> I guess everybody was strapping themselves to kites. Nice. And it makes you think of like that, some like Japanese governor being like, ah, I can't believe we have to regulate this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this, but next on the docket yeah. is man kites. <laughs> 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 Can we just agree not to... No, we can't. Okay, well, no. here's a law, and I guess we'll punish you by strapping you to a kite if you do mm. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that I'm seeing, helps. I'm seeing the cycle here. This is, Don't this is tell me what to do. Now there's more man kites. So mankind essentially fumbled through a colossal gap in understanding of physics and aerodynamics for the next thousand years. Yes. Punctuated with some well-known theories by people like Leonardo da Vinci, who's responsible mm. for the Mona Lisa and is the namesake of the lamest Ninja Turtle. <laughs> he's the leader. Yeah. He's also a nerd. Yeah. He's the lamest. Like Donatello's the inventor. Michelangelo is badass. Like, you know, he's like the cool guy. Rude Ralph. Raphael's like the brooding. Yeah. yeah. Ralph is like the he's like the brooding guy, and then Leonardo's like the we can do it. Yeah, shut yeah, up. Yeah, Dante's the nerd. He, Leo was the goody two shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah, get out of here. <laughs> Krang. That's a cool name. Krang. So he uh, Da Vinci wrote at length about propose several proposed means of flight, including ornithopters, which are aircraft that like flap their wings, yeah. and also kind of proto parachutes. He had okay. like drawings of all these kinds of ideas. He even made some remarkably advanced predictions about how physics would end up being understood. Mm. Like I think he wrote about how, you know, if you design a wing and it pushes down on the air, the air will push back with equal force, which is essentially what Newton's going to say in like a couple hundred years after this. Wow. But Da Vinci did, just didn't formalize it. No, he's busy. And also speaking of ornithopters, mini sidebar about helicopters, because he also had a design for like a helicopter kind of thing. Right. Maybe you know this and maybe people that are listening know this, but the word ornithopter reminded me of something I recently learned about helicopter, like in the right. last couple of years. So again, might not be news, but the origin of the word helicopter isn't helicopter. Okay. It's actually helicopter. So in the same way that ornithopter comes from ancient Greek, ornith meaning bird and pteron meaning wing. Mm. Helicopter comes from helix or helical meaning spiral and right. pteron meaning wing. So it becomes 
helicopter or spiral wing. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I never knew that. I always assumed it was like the origin was broken up along the syllables. So it's like helicopter. It's a kind of copter. A helicopter. Exactly. No. <laughs> what are those things? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. But then it's it's just like a spiral wing, helicopter. Helicopter. The more you know. Make friends at parties. Bring that up. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't want to talk to anybody, you tell a couple <laughs> of facts like those. Yeah, clear the Basically, room. Basically, if you want to make friends or you want to avoid ever talking to anybody ever again, <laughs> listen to this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> we serve both purposes. If you despise other human beings... Listen to our podcast yeah. and uh, bring up the <laughs> stuff that we talk about. Clear some rooms. Did, did I ever tell you how the Mongols threw decomposing corpses at Kaffa? Like, I'm just going to go. Dude, so, you're so weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Episode 1314, Black Death. <laughs> so the first major milestone in human aviation after fumbling through the ancient and Middle Ages was in 1783 when the French decided to focus on balloons. Mm. We talked about those a little bit in the uh, Hindenburg Tragedy Tuesday, episode nine and a half. That makes sense. But it's interesting. In 1783, in a six-month span, the Montgolfier brothers, which might ring a bell, sometimes paper paper manufacturers, sometimes hot air balloon daredevils, went from demonstrating an unmanned hot air balloon to an eight-kilometer or five-mile manned flight powered by a wood fire. And the six-month span culminated in a two-hour, nearly 40-kilometer flight by Jacques Charles in a hydrogen balloon built by the Robert brothers. Oh, Robert. Yeah, so the French went kind of crazy for balloons. Yeah, they saw the potential. By the end of the 18th century, flying around in hot air balloons was the thing to do. (laughs) And this eventually evolved into airships, which we talked about in even more detail in the Hindenburg episode, episode nine and a half. So check that out if you want to hear about gas bags. (laughs) (laughs) You can hear two gas bags talk all about it. (laughs) (laughs) Two gas bags talking about gas bags. (laughs) So the next major milestone was more traditional wing-based man flight. And again, we talked a little bit about this in our Apollo 1 Tragedy Tuesday, episode 13 and a half. (laughs) There's some controversy about who invented the airplane. And I think we'll get to it at some point, maybe even like some bonus content. But the short version is, for the sake of me ever getting to the point... The Wright brothers made the first heavier-than-air manned flight on December 17th, 1903, near Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's probably the one that we're all familiar with. But like sure. I said, there's some some controversy about who was first. So, uh, well, patrons, keep keep an ear out. Maybe that's coming up soon. Yeah. We know who was on the right side of history. <laughs> Please keep listening. A friend of mine told me he once got in trouble with a teacher because... Like in elementary school, because the teacher was telling him how like two wrongs don't make a right. And he was like, yeah, but two rights make an airplane. <laughs> you got in trouble for that? That's genius. Yeah, he got, he got detention. <laughs> teacher sucks. Well, that's why, that's, that's why we're friends. And he got detention. The propellers had barely spun down from the Wright brothers' maiden flight when a man in a uniform chewing a cigar and squinting from behind a pair of aviators, <laughs> also what are aviators, asked, <laughs> can we put a gun on it? Yeah. How do we kill people with that? (laughs) Essentially. So virtually the instant airplanes moved past the prototype phase, they were being used for military applications. Mm -hmm. Early on, this was mostly reconnaissance taking pictures of enemy positions, but it wasn't long before the nascent Italian Air Force was dropping bombs on the Libyans in the Italian-Turkish War of 1911 to 1912. Wow. 1911. So flight appears in 1903 and they're uh-huh. dropping bombs from planes in 1911. That's 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 pretty quick. Like they really rushed yeah. through it. But I mean, you you right. also picture World War 1 and there was like dogfights yeah. and right? So. Yeah, yeah. 
Which is not that long after, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think they would all they would always carry like a loaded pistol with them. Yeah. Just in case things went yep. wrong and you could sort of opt out quickly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think I remember hearing that too. <coughs> so World War One was when aerial combat really became a thing. Yeah. There we go. Uh, and actually, mini sidebar: the best place to mount a machine gun to guarantee accuracy is directly in front of the pilot. <laughs> well, it's true because, like, that's when, especially when you're flying, especially by yourself. Oh, sure. You, want, you kind of want the gun pointed at Dead ahead, like where you're going to be pointing the plane. Right. Unfortunately, you also have a propeller directly in front of the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Germans were maybe the first to solve this problem when they invented the synchronized machine gun. So this is basically a set of gears connecting the motor spinning the propeller to the mechanism firing the machine gun. Sometimes called the interrupter because the mechanical connection would prevent a machine gun mounted behind a propeller from shredding the blades when it was fired. So it was it was synchronized so that basically the gun would like it was a it was it would machine gun and then it was synchronized so that when the propeller blade went in front of the gun it wouldn't shoot. That's incredible, right? Like That's that so propeller cool. is spinning fast, pretty fast. Pretty yeah, fast? I didn't look up the RPMs, but it you can't <laughs> see it, so it's fast. <laughs> yeah, it's a blur that you can yeah. see through. Yeah. That means yeah. fast. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. the downside is that the gun couldn't really be aimed independently, but I think even that is something they carried over to more modern fighter jets. Like your guns basically point forward. You can't really you can't aim swim them around, I don't think. So you yeah. a- you have to aim the plane. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't like the Lancaster where you had swiveling gun turrets. It was just like a fixed thing pointed forward, but it was awesome because you could have it pointed forward. You didn't have to deal with like it being out on the wings. And if it gets knocked out of alignment, then right, you can't right. shoot straight anymore. So, yeah. yeah, and so it was a brilliant innovation, and no surprise that Mercedes is dominating Formula One. <laughs> but we'll uh, save that for a future episode. Okay, <laughs> they were good at a lot of things. So World War II aerial combat got turned up to eleven. So there were no more Red Barons farting around and Fokkers <laughs> shooting down eighty Allied planes, right, which right. is actually kind of interesting. Like a lot of a lot of those dogfighting statistics from the First World War still stand. I think the Red Baron shot down eighty planes, and I don't think that there was a pilot since then that shot down like. 80 planes. (laughs) Yeah, I guess not. It's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. In World War II, there were much more advanced and diversified planes, including massive bombers like the Lancaster and the B-25 Mitchell bomber that we talked about in episode two, the bomber blitz, when he flew it into the Empire State Building. Yep. And yet fighters like the Spitfire. Mm. And actually, I didn't know this, but they even introduced jet fighters in 1942 and 1943. Oh, really? But uh, they didn't really get wide use. Like, I think a lot of them were on the German side, but then the Germans shifted focus to the V2 rockets. Okay. So they didn't actually, by the time they got like viable jet planes, Hitler, I think, had kind of checked out. Yeah. Foregone conclusion. I can't completely avoid talking about World War II. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a big uh, signpost in the, you know. Yeah recent history. A lot happened. A lot happened. Exactly. Following World War II, commercial aviation exploded. And there's probably a better way to say that in a podcast about disasters. (laughs) (laughs) Boom! (laughs) Well, we'll get there. After hostilities ended, everyone had all these bombers lying around. They basically tore out the turrets and bomb bays and filled them with seats and started a long tradition of paying too much for too little (laughs) legroom. Eventually, commercial aviation moved away from propeller-based converted World War II bombers and introduced more and more jet-based and turbine airplanes, Uh such as the Boeing 737, introduced in 1968 and still produced to this day in different forms, but the 737 is still a thing. Right. So one among... The so far almost 11,000 of these planes to date was the British Air Tours Flight 28M. 
Okay. So British Air Tours was a charter airline founded in 1969, operating out of London Gatwick and Manchester Airport. Okay. Now we're getting specific. Indeed. (laughs) So, and I also realized part of the reason that I picked this one is that we haven't done like an airplane-based disaster yet. And there's a lot of them. Except for the uh, Black Christmas. Yeah. Black Christmas. That was a good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. Because I did it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good Christmas episode. Merry Christmas. Black Merry Christmas. Christmas. Black Christmas. <laughs> In the kinds of turbines on a 737, a combustor is a key component where combustion takes place. So it's a good thing that is called a combustor. Good name. Because it feeds air heated at a constant pressure into the turbine. Okay. In 1983, a combustor on GBHJL, the Boeing 737, that would be British Air Tours Flight 28M, was repaired. Okay. But maybe not well enough. Okay. (laughs) So just after 7 a.m. on August 22nd, 1985, during takeoff with a destination of Corfu International Airport in Greece, Uh the pilots of Flight 28M heard a thump. Okay. They had about 20,000 flight hours between them, so I acknowledge that I don't have the same kind of expertise that they do, Uh but I'm fairly confident that's not what you want to hear in an airplane. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. You You don't want your thumps, is what I'm saying. Not from the outset. Thumps are probably bad. No. But then again, yeah. 20, 21,000 hours, maybe you get a little yeah. jaded. There's probably nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. No, no. <laughs> the pilots initially thought that a tire had burst, and they thought that for about 20 seconds until the control tower radioed to tell them they saw massive flames spewing out of the left side of the airplane. Oh, Jesus. It was all during takeoff. Okay. So they're in the air? No, not yet. They're okay. still in the air. They're still, still on the runway. Taxiing. So, yeah. So they're just taxiing, thump. Air traffic control being like, uh, dudes, can on fire, bro. Yeah, dudes, want to do something about that? <laughs> uh, they're, they're British, though, so whatever the British equivalent of a surfer is. Hello, gents. Your left engine that is ablaze. <laughs> <laughs> so the air traffic control teller activated its fire siren to alert the firefighters, but most of them were already on the way after hearing <laughs> the massive explosion that the pilots and co-pilot experienced as a thud. <laughs> Interesting. So that's the other thing. When you're inside an airplane, you hear like kind of muffled sounds, but I right. guess from the outside, you hear that the truth. That makes sense. Yeah. So unless I really think about it, I don't usually consider myself to be claustrophobic. Mm. Um, but reading about this made me think about it and it turns out I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> <laughs> when pressed, I am cripplingly claustrophobic. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think claustrophobia is one of those things where I don't even know if it's like an exceptional phobia. I think it's just the phenomenon of putting any living creature in a confined space. Exactly. Yeah, I want to get out of here. Yeah, it would be more efficient to come up with a word for someone who wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Claustrophilic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got, you know, I'm not claustrophobic as they sit in a room that's, you know, yeah, a hundred times the size of them. <laughs> like, right? Yeah? yeah. How about I wrap you up in a rug and throw you into a locker? That's <laughs> you. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, exactly. Exactly. So the pilot brought flight 28M to a halt off the main runway facing northwest. Good call. A directional matter in a minute. Okay. <laughs> so the senior the senior flight attendant immediately tried to open the right front exit door, but it was jammed because of a design flaw. Oh. Which kind of reminds me of Apollo 1 and this triple hatch system. Uh, I remember the picture of Apollo 1, the after picture. Yeah. If you remember, there were like three hatches and the only way to open the hatch was with like a separate tool and you had to undo all the bolts from the inside. (laughs) It's just, if you've got something called like the escape hatch, it can't be difficult to open. No, it's (laughs) got to be conducive to 
panic. Something a panicky animal can operate very easily. <laughs> it should facilitate at least one of the words in its name, which is to <laughs> yeah. say escape. <laughs> yeah, and hatch. And preferably both. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, unlike Apollo 1, there were multiple ways out of Flight 28M. So about 30 seconds after this one failed, a senior flight attendant managed to open the door on the left side of the plane, which wasn't ideal because the tower advised them to evacuate using the right side because the direction the wind was blowing. Fires on the left. Right. But you know the expression, ideal is the enemy of your entire passenger complement being reduced to charred corpses. (laughs) That old chestnut. They opened whatever hatch they could. The fire engines started showing up at about the same time that the escape slide was deployed. Mm-hmm. So Federal Aviation Administration and European Union Aviation Safety Agency requirements say that any plane whose floor is more than 1.8 meters or six feet off the ground needs a method of escape. Right. Most often this takes the form of an inflatable escape ramp that I'm sure we've all seen in the in-flight safety manual that we totally paid close attention to while pushing the idea of dying screaming in free fall <laughs> to the back of our minds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that thing. <laughs> that thing that will totally save you. Yeah, yeah. totally. Fire engines immediately started showering the aircraft in foam to put out the flames and cool the exits for passengers as they evacuated. Good. Inside, another Mm. stewardess managed to keep the passengers away from the left side door while the senior steward opened it. Mm. But virtually the instant the door opened, people did what people do and Uh, jammed themselves into the narrow galley that led to the exit. Oh, humans. So essentially they were all like lined up, patient waiting, and the second it opened, they were like, Everyone at the same time, shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> just jammed in. Yeah, it's just it, watch any yeah. Black Friday video and yeah, you know that on an airplane essentially. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to make fun of, but I'm sure both of us and anyone listening would do the same thing. Oh, my point like, being that people will do yeah. that for a big screen TV, <laughs> let alone <laughs> their lives. <laughs> exactly. I would be pushing babies out of the way. For context, the passageway that they were trying to get through was about two feet or sixty centimeters wide. <laughs> That's what everyone's trying to... Well, like, picture the galley on an airplane. But at this point, the regulations were different, so there was even narrower. It's a hatch. Eventually, one of the stewardesses started grabbing people and yanking them through the galley and tossing them out the emergency exit. Nice. And that actually worked pretty well. Mm -hmm. I respect that, because oftentimes, as we discussed, people don't know what's best for them. (laughs) And by sometimes, I mean they always don't know what's best for them. So it's valuable to have someone like this to take charge and be like, you know what? I'm just going to throw you out this door. Exactly. Because... On three. One... Exactly. (laughs) Sprained ankle, Trump's dying. So out you go. There you go. The left emergency exit was a cakewalk compared to the nightmare overwing evacuation. Mm. This is the one that got me feeling claustrophobic. Mm. At this point in 1985, the design of the 737 didn't have any kind of excess space for emergency overwing exits. Okay. So now you've probably noticed there's like a full row of seats missing next to overwing exits. Mm -hmm. So at the sides of the planes, you know, like you've got the front main exits yeah and then in the middle of the plane the ones over the wings there's typically like a seat in front of it but there's a gap big gap in the plane so you can get out in 1985 on a 737 there was just a row of seats with an escape hatch right next to it good thinking you know no way out essentially other than climbing over the seats right add to this obviously a nightmare waiting to happen design the inherent mistrust i'm sure every single person listening to this podcast has for anyone sitting next to the overwing escape hatch (laughs) tell me i'm wrong you know how the stewardess comes along and they're like, do you feel like you can handle the responsibility of operating the emergency exit? And the person's always like, oh, yeah, I, totally, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. And everyone around them, maybe this is telling, maybe it's not everybody, but me <laughs> listening in on that conversation is like, no, you fucking can't. Yeah. You're going to be busy filling your shorts with the rest of us if something goes <laughs> <Exactly>. wrong. <laughs> 
Find me Chuck Norris. Do you think you could calmly operate this and like open the... No, you're going to be fucking screaming. Exactly. Okay, hoping people, you're not going to die. pay attention. I'm in charge now. <laughs> yeah, good luck with I that. I don't think so. Obviously, in the case of this flight, the person sitting in the seat didn't know how to use the hatch. And when they tried to open it, it fell inwards and managed to pin them. That's not very good. No, not a good start. A couple other passengers managed to move the hatch off of her and put it on the seats of the row back. But uh-huh. still, like, time is of the essence of the situation. Exactly. So not a good start. <laughs> the space that people had to crawl through to make it out of this opening was just under a foot wide, about 27 centimeters. Uh-huh. That's small. A foot to crawl through to get out of the airplane. Yeah, that's Winnie the Pooh yeah. stuck in the honey... Whatever he was. Yeah. I forget. <laughs> You're still not claustrophobic? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the plane's also on fire during all of this? <laughs> oh, yeah. Time is up the essence. Also, did I mention that the armrests were fixed, meaning that they couldn't actually be moved out of the way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that wasn't a thing in 1985 either. Oh, <clears throat> the 80s were so great. For Terminator movies. He said facetiously, <laughs> and RoboCop too. Not RoboCop well, that, too. Yeah. RoboCop also. As well. Yeah. <laughs> also, did I mention that at this point, the cabin was filling with smoke? You did not. You can imagine the people lining up to get to the exits remained extremely calm. Oh, sure. Right about the time they finally got this exit cleared and people started making their way out, fire got added to the mix inside of the cabin too. Adding, as you can imagine, to the serenity of the passengers inside. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh. Two bottlenecks. Yeah. Good. This is going real well. This is... Uh, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Keep in mind, this is a, like they, ha- they haven't, they didn't even get to take off. It's just on the runway. Right. It's just all, almost worse than crashing. <laughs> yeah. probably. I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't long before another obstacle was added to the fray. The bodies piling up in the aisles. Mm-hmm. And as if that wasn't enough, the seat directly in front of the right overwing exit, the one that was like a foot wide and barely usable, collapsed forward making the exit even less accessible. Oh my God. This plane is a nightmare. It is, because when the smoke cleared, 27 people made it out over the wing and 38 bodies were found clustered around that exit. Essentially trying to like shove themselves out however they could. Right. Whoever designed this thing should be kicked in the balls. Well, or yeah, whatever. They should. I talk about this a little bit later and we've talked about this before. It's like, it takes something like this for somebody to be like, oh, we should redesign this. Oh, people (laughs) want to live, it turns out. Yeah, it's just, ugh. That's always what it is. That's that's the thing that turns the light bulb on uh, above the heads. It always baffles me how there's there's some things that, uh, like maybe fluke accidents, arguably you couldn't have predicted. You're like, oh, okay, well, Fair enough. Maybe we should regulate that. Right, right. <laughs> but then there's things like this where you you didn't you didn't think that having a seat in front of an emergency exit was a bad idea. Yeah. You didn't think that evacuating the plane was yeah. a priority <laughs> in a timely <laughs> manner. This whole time, there's burning fuel leaking from the left engine, which is where the combustor failed and ignited the fuel. Right. And this fuel leaked down and out of the plane, but also into the fuselage. <laughs> Meaning... The passengers inside were feeling intense heat from the floor within about 15 seconds of that first thud. Oh my God. We've taken so far like, you know, 20, 30 minutes to talk about this, but this is all happening very quickly, like minutes. Okay. Okay. You go from like getting ready to take off to your feet getting hot in like 20 seconds. Right. Not great. My my go-to for this episode is not great, but that is a massive understatement. (laughs) (laughs) Not awesome. So remember how the plane stopped facing Northwest? 
Yes. This matters because there was a wind blowing from the west and it carried the dense smoke from the flames in through the right rear door that was opened by a stewardess at the first sign of trouble, which was a good instinct, but she couldn't have known that it would fill the plane with smoke. Right. Yeah. She opened it quickly, which good on her, but then Uh the wind blew all that smoke into the plane. Exactly. Circumstance had another plan. On top of that, when the senior steward opened the front door that that stewardess was throwing people out of, the airflow contained the smoke to the back of the plane. It's kind of like when you're driving in a car and you want airflow, you open like your your driver's side window and then the right rear window. So you get like the flow through the car. That's what was happening here. But as soon as someone opened the right over wing hatch, that current got cut off. Damn it. So then all the smoke just starts piling into the plane and there's no breeze or there's no airflow through the plane pushing it out. So within a minute of the thud, the rear of the aircraft was consumed in flames and the firefighters rushed in to do what they could, but ultimately determined that it was hopeless. Mm. Within a minute of that thud. That's so quick. The back of the plane is just on fire. That is insane. So of the 137 people on board, 55 died and 15 were seriously injured. Wow. Most of the deaths were caused by asphyxiation from smoke inhalation. Sure. Which is terrifying. Claustrophobia and smoke. That's usually the thing. Yeah, yeah. In in a fire, you don't typically burn to death. You choke. Yeah. Especially if you're in a death cylinder. Yeah. A a mortality tube, we'll call it. Mortality tube. (laughs) Mm. Uh, It's not funny. We're laughing about it. Yeah. No, it's not. It's disgusting and horrible. It's it's another one of those things that like make you laugh because it's the only thing you can do sometimes. Yeah. It usually happens like when I fly to Europe, which now feels ages ago. I can't imagine (laughs) being on a plane right now. But like the couple times that I've flown to Europe, I'll be sitting in a plane and it'll happen like once mid-flight where I'm like, I kind of want to get off right now. (laughs) (laughs) But then you realize, and then that's when you like spiral into your mind when you're like, okay, so I'm in a cylinder Mm -hmm. above open ocean at this point. Above the clouds. Uh, If I looked outside, no land behind me, no Mm -hmm. land ahead of me. Mm -hmm. If I stepped out, I'd fall for minutes before hitting the water. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is cool. I'm I'm fine with this. I'll I'll stick. (laughs) I'll I'll stick. (laughs) In the aftermath, obviously, the Civil Aviation Authority got a ton of flack pun intended because uh-huh. <laughs> airplanes flak yeah, flak world war one nice one. <laughs> they got a ton of flack for not dealing with the obviously catastrophic design of the 737 sooner mm-hmm. again as we discussed so many times it takes stuff like this to actually affect change right because you can imagine at the time they're like get rid of a whole row of seats just so people can escape in case of emergency do you have any idea how much that's going to cost exactly in terms of profit trying to sell tickets here trying to move seat units that's right or something make some money so the senior steward and the stewardesses that hurled people out of the left front escape were awarded the queen's gallantry medal for exemplary bravery Mm -hmm. well deserved uh, which i guess that's awarded to uh, civilians and army people not in the course of service okay so there's there's a whole separate set of medals for like gallantry and combat or whatever sure purple heart so that's cool uh and two of the firefighters got one too Okay. So that, that's good. that's good. I think deserved. Well deserved. Grace under pressure. And so that's how we went from covering ourselves in feathers and jumping out of towers to cramming <laughs> ourselves into flammable death cylinders in just a few short millennia. Oh, good. And that's oh. that's the story of British Air Tours Flight 28M. <sighs> that was 1985, did you say? Or 83, you yeah. said? 1985. Okay. That's god awful. So for music... Mm. Uh, I've got a song that I've been binging hard and I'm very excited about. Okay. You know, the, uh, Deftones are coming out with a new album. 
Yes. Have you heard their new track? I have. Do you like it? I do. I like it too. It's really cool. So for me, the music, it's again, it's not really related for my Tragedy Tuesdays. It's just what I'm listening to. So mm -hmm. the band obviously is Deftones and the album is the future album called Ohms coming right. out in the fall, I right. guess in 2020. Yep. And the song is the only one they've released so far, Ohms, which I actually looked up and it's the last track on the album. Oh, and interesting. given like what a banger it is, bold a choice. Banger to go out on. Yeah. Makes me very excited about the album. If that's the last track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say they're, they're yeah. uh, almost a shockingly, for me, at least consistent band. Like, yeah, I, yeah, been, especially since everything since Diamond Eyes has been pretty damn good. Yeah, maybe I should go back and re listen because, so for me, when I first heard it, it got me super excited because it, like, it made me feel the same way I felt when I listened to White Pony right. the first time, which is, I think, is my favorite album of theirs. Uh -huh. Like, I, I love their first two albums. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of, I don't know, I, I don't know if I'd say I, like, fell out of love with them, but I just kind of, like, nothing them for a while. Sure. I just didn't pay attention. Me too. And then uh, I, I got I got into uh, the 2012 album, Koi no Yoken. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, but in particular, like, in retrospect now, whenever I listen to that album, I really only listen to Swerve City, and I really only listen to the intro to Swerve City. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I don't know. It just, it didn't, it, it didn't necessarily click for me. I don't know. But that intro is like the best intro I think ever written to a song. It's such okay. a powerful Boom. start. Anyway, bam, whatever. Bam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I like I heard Ohms. I saw like a link on my YouTube feed to the video and I watched it. First of all, the video is incredible. Yeah, it's pretty and cool. The song is just, I don't know. It's everything that I loved about Deftones and it's got me super pumped about the album. Nice. So, so my song is Ohms by Deftones. Good one. They're back in rotation. All right. <laughs> <laughs> also, as, as like a bonus recommendation, we've talked about this a little bit uh, on our Discord, and I think I mentioned it to you too. Uh, uh, my bonus recommendation, there's this guy on YouTube, his name's William Marancy, or yeah, Marancy, I guess. And he released an amazing mashup of Change in the House of Flies and Britney Spears' Toxic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I remember I, I expected not to like it, and then I listened to it, and I didn't hate it. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, you sent that so, to me. Yeah, it's good. It'll be in the show notes. Check that out. Yeah. If you like Britney Spears and the Deftones, like I do. Who doesn't? So thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, the best thing you can do to help us out is to tell a friend to listen. And uh, may maybe evacuate first and <laughs> then tell them to listen. First evacuate. But do so in a single file, orderly manner. Exactly. Don't cram the galley just because there's smoke or whatever. Tell someone to listen. Keep your cool. Keep your cool and don't be a fool. Good one. That rhymed. Thanks. Yeah. The next best thing you can do is to subscribe if you aren't already and leave a rating or a review wherever you listen. I think Apple Podcasts might still be the best place to do that. Uh, if you want to keep us keep up with us on social media at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you can get everything in one convenient place on our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. You can check out our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod with tons of bonus content and maybe some bonus content that will be related to this episode like I talked about. Maybe some history of aviation coming up. Uh, you also get discount codes for merch speaking of merch we got our next batch of shirts up now or like we are our, we got our next pre-order for shirts up now we make those to order so if you want a shirt you missed out last time or you're new here and you didn't get a chance to buy a shirt yeah. if you go to our website shop.thisdisasterpod.com or there's a link on our main website to the shop go and place uh it's it, it calls it a back order but basically if you back order a shirt with all of your preferences uh you have until october 16th and that's when it'll close. We'll make all the shirts, mail them out, and you'll have a brand new amazing shirt by Christmas. Cool. So uh, check check that out. 
Uh, and I think that's pretty much all I had to talk about. Lee, you got anything to add? Robocop's better than Terminator. No, it's Terminator. 100%. It's final word. So thanks for joining Terminator. And final word on that. You, uh, no, yeah, ter- Terminator. It's the last right. word, Robocop. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you in the next major disaster, Terminator. Robocop. Terminator. Robocop. Bye. 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 Robocop. Bye. Robocop.